0: I'd like to begin this evening by getting us to think a little bit. Most of us are here because we love Jesus. Some of us have been trying to follow him for many years now. A few of us here tonight might be exploring faith. We're still not quite sure what we believe about Jesus yet, but we're certainly intrigued by him. The question I want to ask us all then is this. Who were the people... Who first told us about Jesus? Who read to us the gospel stories? Who taught us what they mean? Who encouraged us in the first steps of our fledgling faith? Who were those people who were praying for us regularly? Who were those people who supported us practically and set an example that inspired us towards the Lord? Who were those people that played an early part in the journey that has led to us all being here this evening. Now I'm guessing it will be different for each one of us. For some of us we will now be thinking of family members, parents, grandparents, older siblings. Some of us will be thinking about our spouses or our friends from university. Some of us will be thinking about school teachers or Sunday school leaders. Others of us will be thinking about particular ministers, evangelists, or designated Christian youth workers. I'm guessing that many of us will have reached the point that we are at this evening through a whole collection of the above. We have come to faith with the support and help of the varied network of God's family, some of them being professionals, most of them not. Let's take a few moments of quiet to think of those people who did so much for us. Let's see their faces in our mind's eye once more. Let's remember their voices. And as we remember them, let us offer up to God our prayers of thanks for them, for the time they gave up for our benefit and the example of faith that they set. Again, in the quiet, offer your prayer of thanks to God. As Christians, we believe that coming to know Jesus is the best thing that has ever happened to us, and that is because of the incredible person that he is. This week I watched the children of Port Ellen Primary queuing up to get autographs from the band Skipnish, who had paid a surprise visit to their school. They were starstruck. They stood there with awe on their faces. What a privilege to meet their musical heroes, a day they will never forget. Through his letter to the Colossians, Paul has reminded his readers again and again just how great the Lord Jesus is, and what a privilege it is to have him in our lives. He believes that the same awestruck response is appropriate, even more so. As we come to the end of this letter this evening, let me remind us of some of the incredible things that we have heard. I will list these in the order that they come In the letter. Jesus is the one who rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into God's kingdom of light. In him we find redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus is the Son of the Father, the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. In him all things were made, through him all things hold together. For him All things exist. Jesus is the head of the church and the firstborn from the dead. Over all things he reigns supreme. Jesus gave up his life on the cross so that he might reconcile all things back to himself. By faith Jesus comes to live in our hearts and with him there we always have the hope of glory. Jesus holds all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge He is the only one who makes the world make sense and the only one who has shown us the perfect example for how to live. Jesus is the fullness of God. We need look no further to find our own fullness of life. Jesus paid all of our debts on the cross. At the same time, he defeated all the evil powers and authorities at work in our world. Because of Jesus, we know where this world is headed. God has won the victory. No one can stop him now. His plans and purposes will come to be. Jesus has set us free so that we may know joy in God's world. Jesus is at work to this day, transforming our lives into something more beautiful. Jesus has united Jew and Gentile, slave and free. He is all and is in all. He is truly the bringer and maker of peace. Jesus is our Lord and Master in heaven. He is watching over his world to ensure that justice is done. He protects vulnerable wives, children and slaves and helps us all to relate to those around us better. One day Jesus will return and his good judgment will come upon us all. This is Jesus. This is who he is. We do not have the words to adequately describe him. We do not have enough pages in our books or hours in our day. He is simply the most incredible, the most important being that has ever existed. What a joy and a wonder that we know him. What a joy and a wonder that he loves us and invites us to love him in return. What a joy and a wonder that he is here with us right now, in this room, and in our hearts, by his Spirit. Oh Lord Jesus, alongside the Apostle Paul and all your people down through the ages and across the world, we worship you, we bow before you, we seek to give you the honour that you deserve. This is what the letter to the Colossians has all been about, lifting our eyes up to Jesus. He is the one we're to turn to in times of trial. He is the one we're to cling on to when everything around us is shaking. Jesus is the one we need, and no one else, no matter what other people might try to make us believe. I hope that reading through this letter has been an encouragement to us, as we journey through this challenging time in our world together. But But after three chapters of extolling the glory and supremacy of Christ, Paul now brings things to a close. And he does so by doing something very deliberate. He places a responsibility on every one of his readers. You see, when we have come to know that Jesus is Lord of all, it behoves upon us to start making him known to those outside of the Christian community. Or to put it another way, it is now up to us to do for the people of Isla what all those people we were thinking of a moment ago did for us in the years gone by. We are to do what we can To introduce our friends and our family, our neighbours and our colleagues to Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, our friend and king. And we do that in the hope that one day they will make him their Lord and Saviour, friend and king as well. Quite simply, Paul finishes this amazing letter with a call to mission. But how are we to go about this task We all find this concept a little daunting at times. So what are the simple, practical things that we can be doing on a daily basis? Well, in verses 2 to 6, Paul describes three of them. Paul begins with prayer. Let's listen again. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul really believes that effective evangelism or the effective sharing of the good news of Jesus begins in prayer. And to Paul, this truth is so important, he urges the Colossians not to be slapdash or half-hearted in their prayers, but to persevere with great energy and diligence. Devote yourselves to prayer, he says. As another example of the importance of prayer, he urges the Colossians to pray for him. It's important we get a sense of just what a request that was at the time. Paul was the great apostle. He'd already travelled halfway around the Mediterranean, preaching the gospel and planting churches. Many, many people had come to Christ through his ministry. Yet here he is, this great man of God, asking the Colossians for help. The Colossians who were very young, inexperienced Christians, and had just been through a very bruising experience of persecution. Can you see what Paul is doing He is giving his readers a privileged role to play. He is giving them a responsibility to be getting on with, something they can be proud of. He is demonstrating to them the value, the worth of their prayers. It truly doesn't matter who we are. Our prayers are powerful. God answers them. They form a channel through which his spirit can flow out into the world doing the work of the kingdom. I often hear older people say to me, I don't know what I can do for the Lord anymore. All I can do is pray. I often hear you Christians say to me, I'm too nervous to take part in church. I'll just pray from the back. We never just pray. Even the Apostle Paul knew that he needed people praying for him. He needed the prayers of God's people to open the doors of people's hearts to Christ. We never just pray. Prayer is one of the most important missional tasks that we can ever do as Christians. And that is why we are to devote ourselves to it. Paul says that when we pray, we should be watchful. We should be alert at the things going on around us. We should pray for situations at work, pray for the needs of our neighbours and friends, pray for what's going on in the wider world. Paul says that when we pray, we should be thankful. We have to pray with faith and hope, confident in who God is. We're to give thanks for the blessings that God has given us in the past and allow them to inspire us to keep trusting him for the future. We're to pray for ourselves as we seek to tell others about Jesus, that God will give us an opportunity and then the words to say when the opportunity comes. And we're to pray for those in other forms of Christian ministry and service. We can pray for Christian teachers, those helping at junior church and teen cafe. We can pray for Christian parents and Christians who are married to non-believers. And please do pray for me. I can do nothing in my own strength. Paul began this letter by praying for the Colossians. He ends it by asking them to pray for him. We all need people to pray for us. And for that to happen, we all need to be people praying for others. So let's be a people who prioritize prayer. The second missional task that Paul mentions in these verses is that we are to be people who proclaim the mystery of Christ. In other words, we are to speak boldly as to who Jesus is and what he has done, what he's doing now, and what one day he will return to complete. As Christians, we all have the responsibility to share our faith, to tell our own testimonies of how Jesus saved us. But it is fair to say that some Christians have a special calling and gifting to do this. Not all of us are cut out to be street evangelists, and that's okay. Let's take the pressure off one another. Let's not try to be what God has not made us to be. Rather, as churches, we're to try and identify those gifts in the people that do have them, and then train them and equip them and pray for them as they go about their task. The Colossians were to pray for Paul as he proclaimed the message of Christ, not necessarily try to do all that he did exactly in the same way. But Paul does follow his request for prayer with something really interesting. Although he thinks that some people, like himself, are set apart for the task of proclamation... He believes that it is the responsibility of all members of the church to contribute to the work of evangelism. And he thinks that we do this by provoking questions in onlookers. Let me read verses 5 and 6 once more. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We might not all be great speakers, but we can all still witness for Jesus. And we do this by the way we live. We're to make our actions such that they stand out in the world. The history books show us that in the first two centuries, the early church grew rapidly across Europe. And a large part of this was because they were behaving in ways that the world had never seen before. And this intrigued people and led them to come and take a closer look. The early church were forgiving their enemies. They were caring for the poor and the hungry on the streets, even giving up their own food to feed them. They were tending to the sick and giving dignified funerals to plague victims, even though that care put them at themselves at risk. They welcomed people from different backgrounds into their meetings, and they didn't get involved with the drunken depravity that was rife in Roman social circles. The early Christians truly stood out. And as a result, their lives provoked questions for all who saw them. And when those questions were asked, they had the opportunity to talk about Jesus. Still today, if we live wisely, it will create opportunities for conversation from time to time. When we show self-control at work, when we refuse to swear or lie, gossip or boast along with everyone else, when we work on our marriages and our parenting, these things will gain people's attention and when the opportunity comes we can simply explain that we try to live like this because we're trying to follow the example of jesus paul says here that we are to answer people's questions with grace in other words with kindness and gentleness and understanding but also with salt There is to be a certain piquancy to our conversations. We mustn't be boring. We must get round to Jesus eventually. Otherwise we will miss the opportunity. Sometimes as we provoke people's questions by the way that we live, we'll be required to try and answer them ourselves. At other times, we'll be able to invite them to hear an evangelist speak or to attend a service where the gospel will be clearly proclaimed. But the important truth is this, whether by prayer or proclamation or provocation, we all have a part to play in the great mission of God. Now I don't know about you, but taking on responsibility always makes me a little nervous. This task in particular makes me worry whether I can ever match up to what God is asking of me. We're therefore to remember two things. First, this is God's mission, not ours. Yes, we're to play our part, but it's his spirit that works in people's heart, and it's the cross of Jesus that saves. We can rest assured that God will make his plans and purposes come to be. He is not going to fail because of us. But secondly, we're to conduct this mission in partnership with the whole of the church. Verses 7 to 18 seem almost throwaway lines at the end of the letter. A list of names and details relevant 2,000 years ago, but that today we might just skip over. But I think there's something rather beautiful here. In Paul's final greetings, we see the depth of partnership that there was between him and the Colossians. Despite Paul never having met them in person, and him being in prison himself when he wrote this letter. We see how deeply Paul was concerned for them. He wants to go on helping and teaching and encouraging them, even after this letter has been read. He's so concerned, he has even sent supporting colleagues to see the Colossians and asked others to pray for them. It's very clear that the Colossians were not to feel alone. They might be new to their faith, but they were now a part of a great family of people, a vital network of prayer and guidance and support. And then we start to notice just how varied the members of this partnership were. Paul mentions a lot of names here. We only know small bits about a few, but we know enough to see the real beauty of the Christian family at work. Tychicus was an Asian Anissimus was a runaway slave. Aristarchus was a Macedonian. Mark had previously abandoned Paul. Jesus Justus was a Jew. Epaphras was a Gentile, an outsider at one point. Luke was a highly educated doctor. Demas was a nobody, we know nothing about him. Nympha was a woman. All these very different people from very different backgrounds coming together in partnership, united by Jesus, to engage in his kingdom work together. Notice how in verse 16, Paul also asked for the church in Colossae to pass his letter around, so it can be read in other local churches as well. He clearly wanted churches to partner with one another, so they could make the biggest impact for Jesus in their communities. This, in many ways, takes us back again to how we started this sermon, thinking about all those who played a part in leading us to faith. Some were men, some were women, some were religious professionals, some were those far too shy ever to stand at the front of a church. Some were young, some were old, some were English, some were Scottish, some were no doubt from other corners of the world. This is the beauty of the church. Yes, we each have a responsibility to play our part, but we never do it on our own. We do it in partnership with many others. We work together until the day when Jesus returns and the whole world comes to see him as the great Lord and King that he truly is. So there we end this great letter to the Colossians. I don't know what it is that you've taken away from the last 10 weeks or so. I know that it's encouraged me to look up to Jesus and trust in his sovereignty while the world shakes around us. The letter, though, ends with four fitting words. Paul writes, Grace be with you. In this letter we have encountered again the amazing grace of God. It is through Christ and him alone that we have been saved. Tonight we've been reminded of the grace of God in that he offers us a privileged part to play a part in his mission to the world. And let us never forget that above all else, it's God's grace that the world needs to hear about through us.